0: Marcus you're still not here, right?
1: No, Marcus is still not here. I'm sorry. Oh. Well, hi there. Who's this? Hi. Uh this is John Arminio.
0: Oh, I uh, know you from the internet. I know you from the internet. We are connected through the, you know, the other dimension, the place between the place, the spaces between the clock ticks. The astral plane of God's armpit turned into the collective consciousness. The fungus that connects the buildings to the buildings. The energy beams like between
1: third eyes, yeah, for sure.
0: Yes, and the energy between the fourth eyes, but we don't talk about that one because that costs too much money. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Zebra versus Own popcorn eschaton a show where two dudes talk about movies that have some wider frameworks between god whatever that means to you and sometimes the economics because we are both leftists we i'll even say more comfortable we're in the tradition of socialist communist something like that we do not like capitalism nope it's bad that's how i feel that's how I feel. And if you're living in the world that we're living in right now with the rising prices of everything, laws being overturned, the fact that it's hotter than it's ever been, that is all a device. That is not that is a cause. That is an after effect of late stage capitalism, baby. Yeah,
1: you know, capitalism is so bad that. It would work better under socialism because if more pe- if wealth was more evenly distributed among humanity more people would have more money to buy more things and businesses would then be more profitable
0: sort of like how cooperatives in certain countries that are not necessarily capitalist but you know cooperatives where people have a piece of ownership in every single part of like let's say honey distribution or coffee mm-hmm. distribution They're all really successful because everybody's doing okay. Why should should the boss make 400 times what you make? It's bullshit. I'm my own boss and I still make nothing. (laughs) (sighs) Those are some good voices. So (laughs) if you listen to our first episode where we mostly talked about the last temptation of Christ... By Martin Scorsese and Mary by Abel Ferrara and a bunch of stuff in between we were sort of looking at the the Christian part of the Judeo-Christian lens and how that affects art and for today's episode we at John suggested that we talk about everything is illuminated, you know, which was based off of the Jonathan Jonathan Safran Foer book of the same name Directed by none other than Liev Schreiber, who every once in a while someone says, you look like Lee Schreiber. And I'm like, no, but thank you. (laughs) And, you know, we decided to talk about that. And then we also talked about 2017's Menasha, which is a a, probably would say of the two, a much lesser seen one directed by Joshua Z. Weinstein, uh, distributed by A24, which I didn't even know.
1: Yeah, you know, these are two, I think, really fascinating and, um, I I would say, very heartfelt films, um, especially because, you know, Everything is Illuminated is the only film directed by Liev Schreiber, um, and he's certainly an actor who's taken the reins of his career. Um, He's very much as much an auteur as an actor can be, like he produces a lot of his own stuff. I think Ray Donovan is very much his own baby. Um, But as challenging a tonal balancing act as everything is limited. It is, and as successful it is. I'm just surprised that he um, didn't direct anything else after this.
0: Yes. Let's just dig right into it. So early two thousands, I'm told, Hey man, you got to read this book. Um, like the the next great writer in the Jewish tradition, a la Isaac Bashevis Singer or um, Saul Bellow or you know something like that has come, and I'm like, that's that's a big that's a big thing to say. So, my mom or my cousin or my godmother got me a copy of Everything Is Illuminated, which is a book that essentially has three storytelling devices. It tells basically the story of a fictional Jonathan Safran Four's family um, from the Shtetl to the Holocaust. Then there's a story of him trying to find uh, the the woman, the person who saved his family from the Holocaust, and then a correspondence between him and a person he meets helping him there who has not great English and the movie which came out a few years later gets rid of one of the storytelling devices the storytelling device of the past and is mostly about Jonathan Safran for fake Jonathan Saffron four played by Elijah Wood and his buddy what's his buddy's name
1: Alex played by uh, Eugene Hutz
0: yes who's of that, that band that everyone loves. from back Go, in the Go, day, Go-Go Bordello. Bordello. Yeah, yeah. Stop wearing purple, wearing purple. And another movie which sort of, like I feel, connects into this world that we're going through is Wrist Cutters, a love story where there's a character in it who's based off of the character from Gogol Bordello. And he was supposed to be in the movie, but they didn't make it work. And that movie is written was based off of a book by Edgar Corret, who is a who is a three G, which means you're a third generation removed from the Holocaust, because it's all connected, baby. Well,
1: I did not realize that. Um,
0: that's why. Yeah. That's why I just give it to you, man. That's why I just sometimes gotta freestyle it, you know.
1: I appreciate that. Um, like you know, when this movie came out, um, I I was very taken by it. Uh, because at the time I was in college radio and, you know, when we're talking early mid 2000s, very much like the national Wilco, Bell and Sebastian, Sushan Stevens sort of like mellow, take ourselves very seriously sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which is fine, but it would just, it became sort of a monolith in the stuff that like college radio was programming. And then all of a sudden, like Gogo Berdella comes out and it's just like this real big breath of fresh air. Um, and so it, it was just very cool to see um, this very extravagant frontman playing this sort of uh, stunted, uh, immature character in this movie with Elijah Wood, who I, I always, who at the time I think was uh, underrated as an actor, and I, I think he's very like extraordinary in this. Uh, and so I was—I was just immediately taken by it, and especially the like the imagery in it as well. That that poster with the sunflowers and Elijah Wood's eyeglasses is just so striking.
0: It is, and you know Elijah Wood was a child star. You know he's in that movie where Macaulay Culkin plays a shitty kid, and he was also in those Lord of the Rings movies. But he was like trying to shake that and do his own stuff, and yeah, now he has quite a career of, of, his own in like the sort of, I wouldn't call exploitation film setting, but he is part of a lot of sort of indie weirdo movies these days. And I think that's good for him. Yeah. And the, the title, everything is illuminated sort of comes from, so this character, Alex, at least in the book, Writes all these letters to Jonathan Saffron-Ford's character about his experience of of their of their adventure and his life, and his English isn't very good, so he's sort of like a thesaurus. So that's how everything is illuminated comes from because of his questionable grasp of the English language, which reminds me of the one time I met Jonathan Saffron-Ford. My girlfriend at the time, now very long ex-girlfriend, we're talking 2005 or something like that, was a big fan of Everything That Was Illuminated because that book was actually a book that people who translated languages, people who were interpreters, would use that book as a way to show how it's actually quite difficult to translate other languages and just because one word means another word doesn't mean that that it translates so i was really excited to tell jonathan saffron Fowler about this and i was working at a bookstore at the time and i was like hey you know i just wanted to tell you the story and he was like that's cool what's your name i was like okay whatever man and i, and I really liked, you know i really liked his book i also thought uh, ex- incredibly loud and extremely close or something like that um, was I was deeply moved by it even though it was a bit precocious at times and it's pretty hard for me to really digest like 9-11 literature but I thought that was his other book I mean he's written a few books and but everything is illuminated is the book that he'll probably be most famous for yeah and then and then they make this movie about this adventure and and it was your idea to 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 talk about this movie so so talk about this movie
1: yeah well um i'm glad you brought up the language because i think this movie does a lot of very risky things um you know depicting uh sort of a comic character with a not so great grasp of the english language it's very easy to devolve into stereotype, uh, devolve into parody of people who are from a place where English is the first language. But I love the way that Alex uses language. I love his his word choice, and I love how that that speech pattern combined with his word choice so fluidly tr- uh, sort of transposes into something that's poetic not just awkward and i find that very charming um and also very deep especially with like when, when we get to his ending narrations um it also starts as like a quirky road trip movie which was pretty in vogue because this is very much at the the time when um little miss sunshine came out so it's very much of its like indie movie time at least in the first third of the first half And then it sort of lulls you in and flips the script on you and it becomes in my opinion incredibly profound at the end and so i just found it's like meditation on identity and and cultural loss uh just extremely powerful and you know i was just so drawn in by the performances and especially you know now um you know, there is this image towards the end of the film with a field of just golden sunflowers and this lone uh, cottage sitting in in the center of it. And, you know, this is this real deep meditation on the artifacts of culture and the things that, you know, a people can carry with them... Uh, During and after a conquest and, you know, watching this movie now with the war in Ukraine, uh, it, it really hit me hard all over again. Very much.
0: And also I feel like, you know, it's funny that you bring up little miss sunshine. I feel this is around the era where independent film became a genre, Mm -hmm. not a form of making movies, you know, we're like, I felt like the movies of this area, like. Thumbsucker, or Junebug, or Everything is Illuminated, or Little Miss Sunshine. They were all like, oh, these are indie movies, man.
1: Yeah. It like a style. Yeah, or even a, a brand, if we're being um, not too charitable about it. And, you know, a lot of the movies in this, we, you know, like, you know, 10 years later, an indie... Um, sort of holocaust movie would be something like son of saul which is an experience uh to watch because it's like like a first person perspective of what it's like in a concentration camp uh so it's a very different approach to telling a story cinematically about the holocaust which is always difficult um and so this one we do see sort of images or glimpses of you know mass murder but it's certainly less um impactful or traumatic than it could be um but it's still you know i think uh powerful um
0: i mean if, i mean i agree with you but if you even look at like movies like ida or mm-hmm. the phoenix like ida also black and white or the phoenix or or saul um there's lots of, like, really upsetting movies about this experience. I guess in the English world, it's less likely. Where now, you know, you get... Jesus, what was that movie I didn't like? Jojo Rabbit.
1: Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Jojo Rabbit is how Americans talk about the Holocaust right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Taika Waititi is not American, but you know what I mean. English yeah. speaking. Have you ever seen Ida?
1: Yeah, I I love Ida. Yeah.
0: Fuck that movie. <laughs> it's a, it a very good movie.
1: I, yeah, I mean, it's also a movie, you know, like for me, you know, it's about a nun trying to explore the trauma of, of the Holocaust. So it's very much like, oh, yeah. Yeah, from, from, you know, me as a Catholic viewing this incredible tragedy. So in the story of Everything Is Illuminated, Alex and his family run a service that gives tours to Jewish families of places in Europe that suffered through the Holocaust. And uh, Jonathan goes to them, hires them to try and find his grandfather and his sort of origin story um, and throughout the film you see glimpses of Jonathan's past as a child and his practice of collecting artifacts from his family or from his own experience and putting them into Ziploc bags and keeping them uh, sort of on this wall in his room and at first um, Alex and his family are reluctant to take another quote-unquote rich Jew uh, to Europe again but they ended up, they end up going anyway um, and I think, definitely, I don't think that Jonathan comes from a rich family. Um, we get glimpses of his grandfather's grave, and the marker is very small compared to the other uh, the other grave markers in the graveyard. And we get just other images of of his home life, and he doesn't seem like a wealthy person at all. And so I think this is just sort of this... Ukrainian family who's running the service playing into stereotypical, stereotypical anti-Semitic thinking, um, which becomes much more powerful as the film goes on. And so they meet and they begin touring Ukraine with Alex and his grandfather, Alex. Alex. And I think um, we we do get some fun stuff with uh, the, the family's dog, Sammy Davis Jr. Jr., and some sort of cultural misinterpretations of what America is like from Alex. And I think Alex as a character is really interesting because he talks about going to Odessa and going to clubs and dancing, but I am of the opinion that that's all a lie. Um, I don't think any of these flashes of him, like, making it rain or anything, I don't think any of that ever happened. um, Because when we see him driving through Odessa, he's looking out the window at the buildings like a tourist. Like, I think he rarely gets out of his home. I think 99% of his life is spent at home pretending to be a big shot to his little brother. And the only time he really travels is to his family business. And so I think that sort of coincides with Jonathan's journey To try and find you know his roots and Alex also is on this journey to find his true self and as we discover more about his family's background his roots as well.
0: I think that's well said. Thank you. And and yeah I also got the vibe that Alex doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. You know. Being like i make it rain i don't even know are we even allowed to make fun of accents anymore yeah. i don't know what if it's like accents from like the countries that your family's from i don't know who knows anymore i don't know what is the what does it even mean it's all a distraction um
1: if you want to do I, an it's a me a mario to me it's uh i'm perfectly okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna do okay, that. Sure. But That's I definitely like. I think those pl- I think those plumbers are pretty cool dudes. For sure, you know, union job, trying to save people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's comp it's complicated. You know what I'm saying?
1: Fighting Donkey Kong yeah. and King Koopas.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, like there's this there's these multi-layered stories about these people connected by trauma trying to come to grips with it and try to make sense of it and what's even interesting is like this movie came out almost 20 years ago so 20 years ago there was still a small chance of you know going back to where your family came from and possibly meeting somebody from the time when your family was alive where you know That's just going to be less and less at this point. Yeah. Right now, you know, now it would just be people who were children during that time.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, this book and this movie came out at a really critical time in that, you know, ongoing living history. Because it's really capturing, you know, the last remaining survivors uh, of the holocaust and their stories and i think it's talking about how important that past needs to remain um and i've been thinking just so much about this movie um alex's grandfather despite the fact that he's driving um says that he's blind um he's he's not um and then later we meet um this Ukrainian woman who says things like that she's never been in a car before and, and asks if the war's still going on. Um, I think both of these characters are suffering through dementia. So Very possible. So anytime the grandfather finds himself lost or uncoordinated, not knowing where he is, instead of admitting that he is going senile... He just says he's going blind, so he's hiding the fact that he's deteriorated mentally. And I think, you know, the the Ukrainian woman they meet later, I think she's definitely been in a car before. If you had asked her 10 years ago if the war was over, she would have said, of course. But she is also deteriorating mentally, um, is losing herself in these artifacts she's collected since the Holocaust, and now the... 50 years between the end of World War II and the setting of this movie has sort of been erased and she's in this perpetual state of it being like 1945 for her. And that's why she's so hesitant to take Jonathan and Alex to the site of this massacre because for her now it's still very recent.
0: It's reliving it for her yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah which is very painful reliving the trauma of the war and the pain and and the need to try to keep that from happening again you know and without giving away everything about the movie cuz perhaps you've never seen this movie and you're like oh I'm going to go see this movie now mm-hmm. the we've given away a lot of it but you really have to see it to feel it and there's some things we've left out which truly make the movie worthwhile and if if you're an emotional person i would be very surprised if if you didn't cry or were at least deeply moved yeah and i would also recommend reading the book because i think the book is very good but you know choose whatever choose your own adventure
1: yeah choose the one choose the one that works for you you know what i mean for sure and you know the movie has a real cute dog uh (laughs) Mm -hmm. i like the music a lot because the movie does do another sneaky trick where it has a lot of klezmer music as the score. And in the beginning of the movie, it's sort of very fun and, and funny and almost a parody of that kind of folk music. But then yeah. as the movie goes on, it becomes get very somber um, and really emphasizes the tragedy of what you're seeing on film. And I just love the fact that it so perfectly sets the tone. Like, you know, these are a bit, you know, off and off kilter characters, and the music fits that. But just because they're weird and sort of off center, it doesn't negate the true depths of the emotion that you're seeing.
0: Absolutely not. And another movie that I think about when we talk about this stuff and um, which is based off of an adaptation of a book is the hourglass sanitarium, which I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen that film.
1: I have not John. No.
0: Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful artistic, um, film that was loosely based off of a short story by Bruno Schultz, who was a author who died during the Holocaust, and it's been a huge favorite film of the Zebras, and I think it's a film that would truly do well under the hourglass of popcorn eschaton. Boop, boop, boop,
1: boop. I am now very intrigued. I really want to see it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and and if we do an episode of it, I might just post it on a website to find because it's very hard to find, and I'm tired of that bullshit.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I, you know, as much and... as I'm, I'm just very thankful that you know, podcasting in general has opened my eyes to so much of cinema from all over the world, and I've certainly seen more movies than than I would have even ever heard of if I hadn't like jumped into this film twitter world but then i'm also seeing how much art is unavailable to the majority of the world which is kind of frustrating
0: availability literally rechanges the canon yeah like there's there are people there are younger people who don't even know uh, who up until recently didn't even know about de la soul in the importance of the hip-hop canon the rap canon Mm -hmm. because their records were unavailable why was de la soul
1: records not available
0: um label bullshit that's crazy so what i'm saying is like there there are young kids who when they who have no idea what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so it's been written out of the canon because of availability yeah So part of me is like, oh, you know, when we were talking about a movie last week that I was like hesitant to talk about, I was like, oh, because it's really hard to find. I'm almost going to sort of be like, yo, send me an email. I got you. Because like, I I hate that shit. I hate talk. I hate wanting to be like, oh, I can't talk about this because because you can't have access to it. So let's just create access.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. I know that a lot of these artists depend on people buying their art to live. But if it's not available anywhere, like, fuck it, like, torrent that shit. Like, who cares if Amazon doesn't get your money? Well, I'm not, I'm talking
0: about stuff that you just can't find. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So nobody's nobody's being helped. Yeah. Like, honestly, do I give a fuck if someone doesn't pay to go see the new Thor movie, which I didn't like that much? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't care. That movie's already made a billion dollars. It'll be fine. Yeah. I'm talking about movies that are that are period, point blank period. You just cannot find. Exactly. Yeah. You know, even um, Kevin Smith has said like, yeah, if you want to watch Dogma, you just gotta find it on the internet because it's in it's an ownership hell because it's still technically owned by the Weinstein's or whatever the, whatever the what's what are those terrible? What's that terrible man's
1: last name? Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, the M- Miramax. Harvey Max? Weinstein. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So like that movie is, will never get another release. So you have to just watch it online. Terrible. Yeah, and I actually like that movie. So
1: yeah, I do too. I, it's <laughs> like like um like all of Kevin Smith movies. It's not perfect, but there's a lot to love in there too.
0: Yeah, and like and like all Kevin Smith movies, it's about Catholicism. This one way more yeah. so.
1: So, of, of course, I'm I'm going to find something to enjoy in there. So, due due to the heat and mm-hmm. due
0: to doing a more, you know, shortened vibe with Popcorn Eschaton, let's talk about this other yeah. movie that I had this you minasha,
1: watch, something that I was totally unfamiliar yes. with. I'm very glad that you could be into it.
0: So, Menasha is a film that came out in 2017, and it is about Hasidic Jews that are living in Hasidic neighborhoods in Brooklyn, and the actors are Hasidic Jews. So, and it's about a guy named Menasha, played by a guy named Menasha, who's a widowed Hasidic, Hasidic, Hasidic Jewish guy. Who's trying to get custody of his son from his family because his family believe that if he's not going to remarry, his son's better off in a family full of lots of people. And he's just sort of a guy that likes to drink and doesn't really want to do much. And he doesn't want to remarry because his he wasn't happy in his original marriage. A lot of marriages in the Hasidic community are, you know, the person you're going to marry for a very short amount of time and all he wants to
1: do is just hang out with his son. Yeah, he's and he's um he's a really good friend <laughs> to to have uh and he he acts like a friend to his son. And as much as you sympathize with him and and how much a son belongs with his father, he, he really can't handle basic shit like getting up in time to take us to school.
0: Oh yeah, he's not good at he's not good at like not fucking up all yeah. the time. Like he's he he is fucking up all the time.
1: For sure. But he does love his yeah, kid with all his heart.
0: Yeah. And what I just thought was really amazing is um you see a lot of movies or documentaries criticizing, you know, Orthodox and Hasidic culture. And not to say that it isn't without its merit for some criticism, but I've never seen a movie where it's about Hasidic Jews and it's played by Hasidic Jews. And it's not like this very important story. It's not like, you know, someone trying to escape or like you know, homosexual relationships between two people in the synagogue. Not to say that those things don't happen and not to say that there aren't movies about it, but this literally is like one of them independent indie-ass movies, but it's just about a Hasidic dude.
1: Yeah, and, and it's so easy to sympathize with menashe Just like in 30 seconds and you meet this guy and you're like, you're on his side and as much as he does fuck up, you're just always saying, "Oh, my boy, can't you can't you get it together, my guy?" Um and and even, you know, his brother-in-law who's you know kind of a dick uh to him throughout the movie, you certainly understand him cuz is always borrowing money from people. Um the brother-in-law doesn't really think that he did as much as he could for um, his sister Manasha's wife, when she was sick, at least from his perspective, and so there's some remaining bitterness there. Um, you know, Manasha You know, even Manasha's son asked him, you know, why don't you wear a hat, why don't you wear a coat, like, like the other Hasidic men? So he's, like, visibly different from the other people in his community. And so you're just so... The movie's so easily pulls you into the story into this very insular community and i think for it to communicate all these themes so readily was you know just incredibly impressive
0: right and you could you could easily put this in a festival next to like you know daddy long legs or mm. something and you know or or even like patterson and i don't think it oh, would yeah, skip a yeah, beat yeah. But but really, it's just about a father and his son and just not being, you know, trying to figure out how to be a good dad when everyone's hating on you.
1: Yeah. From your landlord to your boss to your extended family. Yeah. Everybody. Um, And, and, you know, and there's also just great moments like he wakes up with his like he sort of Takes his son back without permission, but obviously he didn't plan for that because the only thing they have for breakfast is gefilte fish and leftover cake. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I've I've met single dads like this. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, he's just a yeah. mess. So I just thought it would be nice, you know, to we were talking about a movie about such extreme weight with the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about and bring to light something a little lighter something a little delicate and something that doesn't just show Hasidic people in the way that they're always shown. Because even though there can be and there's rightful criticisms of some of the culture, that doesn't mean that everybody in that culture is unhappy or aren't good parents or aren't complicated.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, as much as Manasha has trouble with the people in his community as um, as much as he does not want to get married again. Um, you know, there's this very awkward dating scene where, you know, the the woman that he's going... It seems like it's, you know, like, after this date, they're probably going to arra- be arranged to be married. You know, she Correct. says... You know, oh, you Hasidic men, you, you you know, you go from being cared for by your mothers to your wives, you're, you're not real men. And so, you know, he has all these like very awkward encounters with everybody in his community, but there's no inkling that he would ever leave no. being a Hasidic Jew. This is this is a community that he loves and that, you know, he is very dedicated to as much as it troubles him. And, you know, I think we can all relate to that we're, we're nobody is entirely happy with the culture that we're in but it doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile that we don't get you know an immense amount of comfort and security and support from it
0: exactly you know the grass might be greener on the other side but yeah. sometimes it's nice to just complain about the grass you're yeah.
1: in and he also, like, he's somebody that can relate to people outside of his community, too. There's a couple great scenes where he meets some of his, his co-workers or where he's just out in the community with people who, you know, aren't are Hasidic. And he seems to have a great time with them. And I think he he just needs a breather every once in a while from the pressure of being, you know, a quote-unquote good Jew, and yeah, and can just you know let off some steam a little bit, and that's certainly understandable.
0: And also, I have a feeling he will eventually get remarried, oh, yeah, just yeah. so, just so he can spend time with his kid. But yeah, so what do you think of the movie?
1: Yeah, I I really liked it. Um, with Minasha and his son is incredibly endearing you can instantly see the chemistry those two have for one another and the affection they have for one another. But also, I think it's very true that sometimes, you know, a kid that age, he's like between 8 and 10, just sometimes is, you know, exhausted with their parent and can maybe wish that they could have something tastier for dinner or in a cleaner house. And so, yeah, you, I don't,
0: I don't want cookies and gefilte fish for lunch.
1: Yeah. He can't I sleep on clean sheets, you know, for lunch, Dad? Uh, you know, and so you can certainly understand the conflict that the son has, and don't know what the son would have to go through as far as the grieving process for his mother, because you know.
0: Also, I think it's possible that
1: he's unable to
0: grieve because right now he's just worried about his
1: dad. Yeah, yeah, and it's clear that his dad isn't grieving properly because there's this really revealing scene where he talks about his guilt for being relieved that his wife died because he was so unhappy in that marriage. And I think... You know, that guilt is preventing him from moving on, preventing his son from moving on. Um, and so I, I think the ceremony of mourning again a year after the death of a person is actually pretty healthy. Um, you know, so you and the community can sort of get together again and celebrate the life of the person that you lost and sort of take stock on the year that has passed. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also very healthy for the the son. And there's this great moment where, you know, the son chooses a song to sing and there's a little bit of tension as to, between him and his dad as to what song he, he chooses. And I think that really emphasizes how much growth both of those characters have gone through at least through the uh the duration of this film
0: absolutely and that's the beauty of not living in monoliths that cultures are complicated and we can look at our heritage not through one single prism you know Mm -hmm. what i mean And that's the fun about Popcorn Eschaton. It doesn't have to be one way. It doesn't have to be two ways. We just get some movies together and talk about them.
1: I think uh, the rabbi in Menashe really uh, kind of crystallizes that idea really nicely. Because throughout the whole movie, you can kind of see him going either way. Like being supportive of Menashe or being very strict with what the torah says or with the hasidic interpretation interpretation of what the, the torah says and while he does insist that a child needs to be in a home with two parents he clearly is supporting menasha in his efforts to get his shit together and that how that happens in the end i don't want to spoil because i think that's a great moment no um but for the movie to really have this very full characterization of you know a tertiary character in like it's 85 minute runtime, i think is is a credit to the writing and, and the the performances in the film
0: yeah, so I recommend everybody to check it out. It's you know, it's produced by A twenty four. It's not hard to find. Um everything is illuminated, not hard to find. Popcorn Eschaton, a little bit harder to find. But we're gonna work on that, man.
1: Yeah. Anything you have to say before we get out of here, buddy. I uh, said I'm I'm very thankful to be able to talk to these movies with you, Scott, and thank you for exposing me to another um great film I appreciate it
0: anytime anytime